Your bulletin tells you that I want to speak today from the book of Philemon, the entire book. Most of you know that's just 25 verses, and I probably won't take us to all of those today. Uh, I will be using the King James Version. In a few minutes, we'll have uh, about five of those verses on the screen, some of the highlight verses and key verses. I want you to uh, be sure and note those as well. But I looked at the book of Philemon. It's one we don't look at all that often. But I found there what I want to call today seven great thoughts for this first Sunday as we move into 2023. However, they were great thoughts last year, and they'll be great thoughts till Jesus comes back. So uh, we're not limiting this to just the calendar year that's before us, but I think it'll help us to think about these things and commit ourselves to move forward through the new year and beyond with these thoughts in mind, these characteristics in mind, these truths in mind that we're going to be looking at today. I want to encourage you to have your Bible in front of you if you possibly can, uh, more than just what the screen is going to have, because I'm going to point out some other verses and some thoughts that are there that uh, you won't have in front of you if you don't have your Bible. There is a pew Bible. You can use that. It's not exactly the same version, but it'll, it'll suffice. If you're at home, you certainly have the opportunity to grab a Bible and have it with you. Uh, some of you have your Bible on your device. Uh, my flip phone doesn't have that, but uh, yours probably does. So uh, you go ahead and use your device if that'll be helpful to you as well. And I hope you will consider making some notes today, at least write down these seven thoughts that I want to share with you. They're not my thoughts. The Bible says my thoughts are not your thoughts. They're God's thoughts. And that's what I want us to hear today and see it demonstrated, illustrated uh, in the book of Philemon. Most of you remember the background of the book of Philemon. The basic topic is forgiveness. Some of the cultural, social background in Philemon has to do with the institution of slavery that was in place at that time. And there are those who've said that Paul wrote Philemon and approached this situation the way he did uh, to have some message, some influence over the institution of slavery in his day. That may or may not be true. We can talk to Paul when we get to heaven and find out if it's true or not. But I certainly think there's a whole lot more there than just the issue of slavery, although it does play a part, and we'll keep that in mind today. But the topic really is forgiveness. A larger view is the Apostle Paul is doing the writing, the speaking. As he does so, I think he's demonstrating being filled with, led by, used by the Holy Spirit to approach to attack, to handle a situation that needed to be handled in that particular day in the lives of some other people. So the leading of the Spirit is part of the background of what we're looking at here today. Even a larger view and context for the book of Philemon is this is Paul writing to a church, a house church in the house of Philemon the one to whom this letter is addressed and the one who's the main subject uh, of uh, action that needs to take place by this letter. But uh, I think what Paul is illustrating for us here is this is the church at work, the first century church and the 21st century church as well. This is the way the church ought to operate, led by the Spirit and approaching issues and challenges and needs uh, according to Scripture and according to the leadership and the direction of the Holy Spirit. Not only is this a picture of the church at work, but it's also another way you could express this. This is a picture of Christian behavior and Christian priority, which should be, again, a lesson to us of our behavior and character and action as an 
individual Christian and also the priorities that ought to be ours as Christians. I'm still trying to prepare you. I'll give you another thought, another way to approach this message today in the book of Philemon today. What I am when I'm filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. My character, my nature, my behavior, my priorities. That's really what I want us to grasp today is how it applies to our lives. And then one other thing. Not only does it demonstrate the Holy Spirit's work in my life and my yielding and surrendering and following the Holy Spirit, but the book of Philemon is a a lesson for us. What does the world see when Christians do what they ought to do, when they act like Christ, when they follow the lead of the Holy Spirit? What does the watching world see? And again, that's so important. It was in that first century it is important for us here today. Most of you, again, know the backstory of the letter of Paul to Philemon. It's a personal letter. In summary, apparently, in one of Paul's missionary journeys in the past, he had encountered Philemon and led him to the Lord. And Philemon has grown. He's been discipled. He's matured. He now hosts uh, the church of Colossae in his home And we'll see that in some of the verses we look at today. Uh, As I said, slavery was a part of the culture of that day. Because of that, Philemon owned a slave named Onesimus. And at some point, Onesimus had fled from his assignment, his uh, ownership, his responsibility to Philemon and to Philemon's home and had become a runaway slave. Humanly, we would say, and just so happened, he crossed paths with that same Paul that Philemon had crossed paths with. He crossed paths with Paul, probably in Rome, probably Paul as a prisoner. And guess what? Just like Paul had led Philemon to the Lord, he led Onesimus to the Lord. And Onesimus is born again. And now Paul knows, and I'm going to talk to us again in a moment about the other people involved in this that are named in this letter. Paul knows that in order for Onesimus to grow, he needs to get past the wrong he's uh, been guilty of in the past. Philemon needs to face this huge issue that he remembers and probably is affecting him and his family and perhaps the community is aware of what happened to him when Onesimus ran away. And so uh, Paul is writing this letter saying, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. And you remember how... Paul says, I'm asking you to uh, receive uh, Onesimus not as a slave, but as a fellow Christian, a fellow believer, saved by the same blood that you're saved by Philemon, saved by the same grace that saved you, Philemon, and I'm asking you to treat him just like God treated you. When you didn't deserve mercy and grace and love and hope, God gave it to you, and I'm asking you to do that same thing with this one who has actually certainly has done you wrong, but you don't have to exercise your rights. You don't have to behave in the way that uh, your emotions tell you or that the society around you tells you. You can act like Jesus. You can let the Spirit direct this communication with Him and this relationship with Him, and that's what I'm asking you to do. So that's somewhat the the, uh, background of the story. Again, to to review and to refresh our memories, and maybe some of us are not quite as familiar with it as the other, but that's that's the, the point here. And as we watch Paul communicate to Philemon, 
concerning Onesimus, I want to just point out some characteristics, some thoughts that are demonstrated in this letter and demonstrated in the action of, especially of Paul and of uh, Philemon, or called upon for Philemon to demonstrate that will challenge us today. I, I don't want us just to do a Bible study. I don't want us just to uh, uh, look at something that happened historically and delve into the historicity or del delve into the social ramifications or any of the other uh, issues. I want us to let it apply to us. I want us to lift it from 2,100 years ago and put it into the 21st century and into our church and into our lives and think about what it teaches us and what it applies to us. Let's look at five of those verses, so I'll ask you if you would to stand with me. And I believe we'll have those on the screen. I'm going to go to verse 1 if we have it. If not, I'll use, use the Bible that we all got and we'll go from there. Okay, that's verse 10. We're going to start with verse 1. The, the letter begins, Paul, and by the way, the name Paul means little. And we're going to see Paul demonstrate proper littleness, smallness, humility in this letter. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about that should be a great thought and a great challenge for us in the future. Paul means small. A prisoner of Jesus Christ, we believe he was a prisoner in Rome. He's associating at this point with Timothy. And I won't take time to uh, have us read it now and look at it now, but if you would take your uh, Bible sometime and look at the last two or three verses of this letter, you'll find a whole host of other names uh, that are mentioned there as well. He's addressing this unto Philemon. And the name Philemon, if you think about it, you remember that Greek word for love, phileo? brotherly love. Phileo is a, a derivative of that word, and his name means loving. But I'll go ahead and kind of describe for you here what Paul is doing. He's saying, Philemon, your name means loving, like a brother loves a brother, like family love, like brotherly love. But I'm asking you to take it to the next level. I'm asking you to take it to agape, and I'm asking you to love Onesimus like God loved you and like God loves him and treat him in that way. But the name Philemon carries with it a, an idea and a communication there. And then Paul says he's our dearly beloved fellow laborer. And he goes on to say some other things there uh, in, in those next few verses that talk about the other people associated with Philemon there in Colossae. Uh, and uh, some uh, compliments, some characteristics that he affirms for them uh, in uh, uh, the opening of this letter. Now, down to verse 10, he gets to the point. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus. Onesimus means profitable. I did a little thinking about that. If Onesimus had become a slave or what had maybe been born a slave but had lived in slavery, maybe that wasn't his given name. Maybe that was the name given to someone who wanted to sell him as a slave and say, here's the, the slave on the auction block today. And his name is Onesimus, that means he's profitable. That would be a selling point for someone like Philemon to purchase this slave and to put him to work in their household. But the name Onesimus means profitable. And Paul's going to play with that word in a few moments, and I'll point that out to you as we look at it as well. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. He lets us know the same way he led Philemon to the Lord, he's led Onesimus to the Lord, and now he uh, uh, is identifying him and making this request which in the time past to thee was not Onesimus, unprofitable, 
but now Onesimus, or profitable to thee. Paul makes a tremendous play on words there to Philemon. And he's going to go on to talk about not just the profit uh, in business, the profit in his work assignment, but the profit that Onesimus could now be because he's filled with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's born again. His past has been forgiven. He has a home in heaven. And because of that, he has tremendous potential and possibility and opportunity. And he wants uh, Philemon to recognize that. All right, a couple more verses. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. Your translation, if you're looking at a different one than the King James, may say for good. And that's good southern language. That means forever, okay? But it also carries with it the idea that it's, it's going to be a good thing. It's not just ongoing you'll receive him in a relationship, in a fellowship with him, but also it's going to be a good thing. It's going to be good for you, Philemon, to grow your faith. It's going to be good for Onesimus to experience this restoration. It's going to be good uh, for the watching world to see how Christians handle a situation like this. And now you're to receive him, this is verse 16, not now as a servant, but above a servant. Why? Because he's been transformed. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. He's now a beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Thank you. Please be seated. Again, if you have your Bible in front, we've seen some of these verses, but I want you to have it in front of you if you can now or at some point in the future and, t and take these 25 verses and then jot down these seven thoughts I want to give you and uh, allow them to uh, challenge you today, the month to come, the quarter to come, the first half of the new year to come, the whole new year and then beyond. And as I've already said, these challenges, these thoughts for a new year are not just beneficial today. They would have been beneficial any time we appropriate them and apply them. And they'll certainly be beneficial far beyond any time frame in the future till Jesus comes back again. Seven thoughts to consider for my life and your life. In verses 1 and 2, again, Paul identifies himself. He identifies the recipient of his letter, Philemon. He identifies Timothy. And in the next verse, he names some other people in the church at Colossae. Verse 2 says, and to the church in thy house. So a whole host of people he refers to, but he doesn't identify them by name. The first thought I want to give you today is as we move into the future, however you want to put a time frame on that, learn I need people. Rely on people. I need people. The other thing I've already pointed out at the end of the chapter, Paul names the people who are with him besides Timothy, several of them. Uh, they're in the Roman uh, situation where he was as a uh, house prisoner in Rome waiting his appearance before Caesar. You say, well, preacher, what are you talking about there? Well, the people I'm talking about, first of all, are godly people, Christian people, people that can hold us accountable and that we can hold accountable. And I just pointed out to you here, it's obvious that Paul is not writing this letter on his own. He's consulted with Timothy and has the support of Timothy. Those names at the end of the letter also are those he's had praying with him. They're probably praying over this letter as it's written and as it's delivered and as Philemon reads it. 
Paul needed people, a whole host of people, to join with them in their faith and in their commitment and in their, their desire to see this problem solved and see this need met. You and I need people in our lives. You found some people here this morning, right here at church. You've done a good thing. And I'd be remiss if I fussed at you for not coming because you're here. And for those live stream, I'm not fussing at you either if you couldn't be here. But as the days unfold, as situations change, and as opportunities present themselves, we need to realize being with people at church matters. It'll help us face and cope with issues, whatever uh, they may be in our life, whether it's a personal issue like this issue that Philemon had to deal with, but whatever it is, we don't need to do it in our own wisdom, in our own strength, and in our own ability. We need to do it with the body of Christ. Earlier this morning, I mentioned our D groups. If you're not involved with a, with a D group, there again, you're putting yourself in the uh, association with other believers praying believers, Bible-studying believers, believers uh, that can look up to you for influence and to whom you can look for influence and help in times of need and as you proceed throughout the days to come. D groups are one, Sunday morning, Bible study groups, Sunday school we call it, small groups on Sunday morning are also a wonderful way. If you're not involved in those, if you're not involved in regular church attendance, if you're not involved in a D group, if you're not involved in Sunday school, I need people. You need people. Paul demonstrates here the great man that he was with all that he had done and with all that he accomplished. He dare not approach this issue without godly people surrounding him, praying for him, supporting him, encouraging him. And you need the same thing. Next Sunday night, men, you need people. A lot of men need to come together and let iron sharpen iron in our next men's gathering. Before long, our ladies will have a gathering. Ladies, you need to be a part of that, uh, not just to be another number, not just to see what's going on, but to be a part of a group that can support you and encourage you and bless you and help you. One other level of that that we don't have time to pursue today, but some of us have individual accountability partners, not just a D group or a class that we're a part of or a, a ministry that we're a part of, but we have individual accountability partners who pray for and with one another. And I think that's what's being demonstrated and illustrated here by the Apostle Paul. I need people, godly people. I don't need to isolate myself and withhold myself and withdraw myself from the influence of people through the body of Christ. And so I challenge you with that today. Now we'll move on quickly. Verse 3 through verse 7. I won't read all those verses, but you can look through them sometime. The second thought is be led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not even mentioned in this particular writing. Jesus is mentioned, but not the Holy Spirit. But the work of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the influence of the Holy Spirit is obvious throughout. And in verses 3 through 7, you'll find three or four, maybe more, of the fruit of the Spirit. You remember Galatians chapter 5? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, long-suffering, meekness, faith, temperance, Almost half of those Paul uses in his communication with Philemon there in verses 3 through 7. Paul tells us in another place, be filled with the Spirit. That happens when we are saved and born again and we allow the Holy Spirit to take over and take control in our lives. We're filled with the Spirit. And then Paul talks about the fact that we need to be led by the Spirit and we need to walk in the Spirit. 
Whatever we do in life, whether it's a problem like Paul was trying to solve here or whatever other challenge we're facing, if we don't do it with the help of people and the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, then we're going to get what we can accomplish. And I'm scared to death of that for me. I don't want what I can just do. I want what God can do through people and what God can do through His Holy Spirit. And so a thought for the new year is to be... uh, Recognize your need for people and be engaged and involved with people here at church and also be led by the Spirit and allow the Spirit to produce that fruit in your life that is listed there in Galatians that you find uh, described here in verses 3 through 7. And then I want to read verses 8 and 9. Wherefore, Paul says, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin uh, them that which them that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. But the key word I want to give you there in verse 8 is bold. Paul says, I'm going to be bold about this, Philemon. I'm going to bring the issue up right to the front. I'm going to talk about it in plain English or plain uh, Greek, I guess he would in that day. But I'm going to talk to you in plain language about it and ask you by the power of the Holy Spirit, to respond to what the Holy Spirit's laid on my heart, and let's deal with this issue. The third thought I have for you today is boldness should be anticipated in the Christian life. Now, that's going to scare a lot of us. We're going to say, but I'm shy. But, I, but I've never stood up for the Lord, or I've never stood up in a group, or I, I've never taken a stand for the Lord. I, I don't know if I can be bold or not. Well, Paul was, and it was by the power of the Holy Spirit and the confidence he had that what he was doing was not of himself but what God was leading him to do, and the confidence that he had that a whole host of people to whom he was accountable were supporting him, praying for him in it, and that enabled him to be bold. Don't let a personality trait, a characteristic trait of being a little shy or timid or standoffish cause you to say, well, I I could never be bold. A good thought for the year is be prepared. If you're going to set yourself down this path of being led by the Spirit, accountable to people, God's going to put you in a situation where you've got to speak up, stand up or shut up, where you're going to have to make your faith known, the truth known, your convictions known, and uh, you should anticipate that and expect that. Boldness is a part of what we're thinking about here today. Then verses 10 through 13, again, I want to read those verses. We looked at part of them a while ago. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, or profitable, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past to thee was unprofitable, but is now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, that thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels. Verse 13, whom I have retained, would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. Paul is saying, value people over things and over hurts and over past situations or circumstances or issues. Value people, especially value people when Christ has entered their life and made them new, when Christ has forgiven them and redeemed them and their past is no longer held against them. You and I ought to hold people in that situation in the highest regard, no matter what we know they may have done or what they may have done to us. View people and value people over things. I think that's what Paul is telling Philemon there and what he's telling us today as well. 
And then in verse 14, but without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as if it were of necessity, but willingly. I have the word there, humility. Prioritize, walk in humility as you move into the future. It's a good word, a good thought, a good characteristic for the year to come. Humility. That's what Paul is demonstrating here. He doesn't use the word humility, but he's demonstrating it. And humility is one of the characteristics produced in our life as a result of the Holy Spirit. Paul plainly tells us here, I'm older than you are, Philemon. I led you to the Lord. I've accomplished all the things that I have uh, uh, in my life up to this point. I'm a prisoner here. I've got all kinds of uh, uh, weight in, on my side to demand that you do this, but I'm going to approach you in meekness, in gentleness, in graciousness, in kindness, and in humility, and ask that you respond to the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that's laid this on my heart, the same Holy Spirit that's, uh, this has been confirmed by uh, many other people, I believe that Holy Spirit's going to work on you, Philemon, and I'm asking you to respond to the ministry and the work and the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life concerning this issue. Now, you might say, well, preacher, are you contradicting yourself? You told us to plan to be bold, but you also tell us to be humble. Well, I think there's a place for both in the Christian life. You can watch the life of Jesus, and we certainly see him never unhumble, not humble, but also many times bold, but bold with graciousness, bold with purpose, bold uh, with uh, 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 redemption in mind and in view. There's a place for both. And the Holy Spirit will help us balance our boldness as well as our humility. And we need to be willing to do that. Verse 15, for perhaps Onesimus therefore departed for a season, but now he should re you should receive him forever. The sixth word, choose the eternal consequences, the eternal value, the eternal significance, the eternal accomplishment over that which is temporary and earthbound and limited by time. Choose the eternal every time. When we look at a situation, a circumstance, we have to make a decision. What is heaven going to say? What's going to please God? What's going to advance God's kingdom? That's the way you and I need to be approaching situations and circumstances uh, and allowing ourselves to move forward into the future. And then in verse 16, listen to what he says. Receive Onesimus, even though he's wronged you, he's been born again. He's saved. His life has changed. So receive him now, now as, uh, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother, beloved, especially to me, but much more now unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul is saying value relationships, value people. We need people. We need to associate with people. We need to rely upon people. We need to uh, gain the benefit of the input of other people. But also as we move forward into the future, whatever time frame we're talking about, we need to have a value on people and on those relationships. And that's what he's calling on Onesimus to do. Yes, he's a slave. Yes, he's a criminal. Yes, he's done you wrong. But Christ has made a difference in, this, in his life and in your life and can make a difference in this situation if you'll allow him to do it. As I've prepared to preach today, come to this point in the sermon, uh, a song and, and a statement that we hear quite often over the last few weeks during the Christmas season, a baby 
makes all the difference. And that's what he's saying to Philemon. Philemon, yes, there are a lot of charges against Onesimus, and you have a lot of rights. But the bottom line is that baby who became a savior and died on the cross, was buried and rose again, who's promised to come again, he makes all the difference in your attitude. He's made all the difference in your life. He's making all the difference in Onesimus' life. Now you allow that to work out as you're in your relationship with Onesimus. View him as one that Christ died for. View him as one that uh, Christ can change. And uh, view this relationship as one that Christ can re restore and redeem. Those are just seven thoughts that I drew. If you'll do some study in these 25 verses, you'll come up with more, and that's fine. I'd like for you to share them with me. I'll add them to my list. But I encourage you and challenge you to take those seven thoughts with you into the future. This afternoon, this coming week, and on throughout this year, and on throughout the days that God gives you the remainder of your time here upon the earth, or until Jesus comes again. I think they'll make a difference. They'll make us a better church. They'll make you a stronger, bolder witness. They'll make your influence greater. And they'll allow the watching world to look on and say, look how those Christians are fussing and fighting and feuding. Look how they're jealous. Look how they're mean. No. The watching world will look on and say, look how those Christians resolve their issues. Look at the wisdom that God has given them. Look at the power that God has given them, the ability that God has given them. And I think that's why he's left us here in the world, isn't it? To have an influence, to have a testimony, to have a witness, to allow the watching world to see the difference a baby can make, the difference a Savior can make, the difference that God's grace through Jesus Christ can make. As we close this morning, I'm going to come to the front. Our musicians are going to come here. We're going to sing. If you need to come forward today, we invite you to do so. Paul had an issue that he wanted Philemon to deal with. You may have an entirely different issue today. The greatest issue of all by live stream or here in the room is where is Jesus Christ in your life? Is he a part of your life? Is he on the throne of your life managing and orchestrating and directing your life? If you've never made that decision for this Jesus who changed Philemon, who changed Paul, who changed Onesimus, you can make a decision today for this same Christ who will make a, make a difference and change your life and your circumstances as well. Some of us may need to come here and pray, maybe as a New Year's prayer, maybe in response to the, the, what the Holy Spirit has said to your heart today. But whatever you need to do, we invite you to do that. The invitation is open. And there perhaps are some here today who would like to join our church. We'd love to have you. And I can't think of a better time to do it than on the first Sunday of a brand new year and become a member of this fellowship and then begin to serve the Lord with this body of Christ for the weeks and uh, years to come. We invite you to do that. Whatever you need to do in these next few moments, come forward and make that decision known publicly. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to study your word. We thank you for the truth, the conviction that your word brings. Lord, each one of us today have heard here some things that we need to think about, we need to respond to, we need to deal with. I pray you'll help us to do that. Lord, for the greatest need of all, for those who need a Savior, I pray that they'll settle that issue right here, right now, in this place today. Have your way in these moments. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.